Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Each week, I'm joined by my co-host, Red, and some of the best product managers in the business. Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jeff Schulman, and I am a professor at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business, and I am the founding director of the Product Management Center, global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. And we host a conversation every week here on how to succeed in product management with the purpose of enriching the lives of diverse product managers and empowering product managers to enrich the lives of diverse audiences. Uh, so to think more broadly, to drive success for your company, but also to think more broadly about who your customers are and, and who's included and who's excluded by the innovations that you create. We have an exciting show today talking about time management and I'm going to put my time management skills to the test to make sure that everybody gets a voice here today while also staying in under one hour. Uh, so wish me luck with my time management skills. Before I do that, I just have to say, Red and Sumea, you're, you're here every week. So you've, you've kind of seen this journey unfold from, hey, we're going to start an inclusive product management accelerator and uh, try to help bring more diversity into product management to we had one thousand applications for the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator uh, for the spring cohort. So we had a 72-hour window. We had 1,000 applications. And now comes the panic picking 50. So talk about a selective program. This is uh, quite the task that we have to help pick the out of those 1,000 who the 50 are going to be that uh, we're going to work really hard to help uh, empower to get their first product management role. One of the people who has been helping us in our goal to empower professionals from historically marginalized communities to land their first PM role is Mark Kramer. Uh, we're going to do introductions a little out of order, but Mark, first I want to say thank you. It's great to, to hear your voice. We've interacted on the Product Management Center Slack channel, and you've helped so many people. Tell us a little bit about your journey into product. First of all, pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. And it has been a real pleasure uh, working with some of the fellows that have been going through the program. So... My journey to product management, I started off as an engineer with a W degree, and I was in the lab doing hardware debugging. And I just felt like I wanted to be involved in more businessy type things and have more interaction with people. So I went and got an MBA, and then afterwards I moved into roles which I considered to be maybe highly businessy, like sales and marketing, that kind of thing. And I decided that I was missing the tech. I wanted to get closer to that. And it turns out product management is actually a great blend of both technical skills and business skills. So I've been doing it for a couple of decades now, and it feels like uh, the perfect home for me. All right. Welcome home. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Glad to have you here today. Sangeeta, tell us a little bit about your journey into product. Oh, it's going to sound like a repeat from Mark, but yeah, I was a software engineer as well. And uh, yeah, developing my first product, I quickly realized I don't want to be behind a computer writing code. I wanted to be in front of customers, talking to them, solving problems, even if it meant uh, not writing code to solve their problems. Uh, yeah, so that made me kind of very curious about this product manager role. And and I did a cross-functional uh, sort of transfer very early on in my career. Welcome. Glad to have you here talking about time management uh, in just a moment. But first, got to get to our third guest today. Uh, Abhishek, uh, tell us about your journey in product. Hey, everyone. Very excited to be here. I think we have a lot of engineers come uh, product managers in the house today. Very similar story. Started my career as a full-stack engineer. And to be honest, when I started my career, I didn't even know what a product manager is. But I guess I was a very different from my other peers. I was more interested in understanding what our KPIs were, how is my code going to impact our users. I used to go in long discussion with our user design team on optimizing the customer journey. It was then when my PM and my engineering manager suggested that, hey, I should definitely look at product management as a career because I show some natural traits. Well, I studied about it for a couple of years, trying to understand who is a PM? What does a PM do? And then in 2016, I made a switch from engineering to product management. And I can say it has been an amazing ride since then. 
product management as a career where I can see myself working with great enthusiasm for the next 10, 20 years without getting bored. Yeah, that's my journey. All right. Thank you. Welcome here. So we have uh, three guests today who are product managers at some pretty powerful companies. They're speaking only for themselves and of their own experience, but uh, they are some of the best in the business. And Sumeya, queen of Clubhouse, uh, weekly expert in residence here on how to succeed in product management. They know you already. So let's do your superhuman skill. Tell everybody why they should want to listen to you and our three guests today talking about time management and why it's actually good to have four people uh, sharing on this subject. Yeah, absolutely. Always good to be surrounded by practitioners and enthusiasts and really busy people who want to do amazing work. So glad to see you all here and hear you all. For today's topic, I think if you ask any working professional about time management, they will tell you that's one of the most important things for them. I I did a quick Google search today in uh, some of my favorite publications to see what are the latest research in this field. And I saw a couple of themes. I see a bunch of writing on how doing too much time management broke me. This was the title of one article on HBR. (laughs) And then I've seen uh, some research around what are some of the common themes and also the conflicting themes that you can hear someone say, this is how they manage their time effectively, but it won't work for someone else. They do. The other person has to do exactly the opposite thing. And uh, that's something that uh, a researcher by the name Duhigg has has, uh, done and, and shown. So I'm really interested in this topic. I think having a diversity of point of view here is very powerful. As with everything in product management, there is nuance. Something works well in one situation and doesn't in another uh, because of external forces. But in this case, a lot of it also has to do with you as a person and your natural tendencies. So I'm excited to delve in deeper and hear about everyone's journey and perspective and lived experience when it comes to time management. All right, Suman, glad to uh, hear your voice back to normal. Glad you're feeling, uh, it sounds like you're feeling in tip-top shape. Uh, Great to have you here. Uh, And then Red, last bit of time management. I'm going to ask some uh, questions of each of our guests here today, but then you could tell people how they get involved. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how people can get involved. Uh, It's your turn. Absolutely. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, For one, this is not just uh, an event to be inclusive for anyone who joined tonight, but we want to create an opportunity for those who are not here to hear this discussion. So we are recording the show tonight and distributing it as a podcast, How to Succeed in Product Management. And Jeff, we're almost at a year, buddy. Super excited. Uh, One of the other things is we have a Slack channel. I haven't posted a link to that Slack channel just yet, because right now we're looking at getting volunteers in. But uh, if you're someone who's interested in joining our Slack channel, just uh, direct message me or find me on LinkedIn. Uh, We have over 1,500 product managers in this group. And the reason I point this out is because a lot of times people want us to ask questions on their behalf in discussions for the evening, or after the show's over, they want to continue the discussion. Whether it may be the former or the latter, we are here to be as inclusive as possible to get people who are not in product management into product management, remove those blockers, and do it in an effective, timely manner. See what I did there, Jeff? Brought it back to the uh, theme of the day. Yes. mm, uh, With that in mind, I will give you time back. Uh, Jeff, thank you, and excited for all those who are pondering questions. Don't raise your hands just yet. Save it for the half hour, and we're excited to hear what you have to ask. Yes, audience participation is probably our favorite part of the show, uh, getting the questions that you want to have answered by some of the best in the business. Speaking of some of the best in the business, Sangeeta, I want to head to you and maybe help motivate this, uh, put you on the spot, but what are the some of the challenges you faced earlier in your career where you feel like you learned something how to do better? So problem identification, where did you have problems with time management early in your career? So I think uh, that's an excellent question, Jeff, because uh, earlier in your career, uh, what ends up happening is your your calendar tends to fill up with a lot of tactical stuff, uh, especially if you're a product manager, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, launch planning, it's creating demos, it's answering customer questions. And you feel like you're sort of running the show because product is a role like that. Uh, it's a pretty, you know, high on ownership. Uh, so you end up wanting to fill all the void and that ends up 
filling all the calendar and uh, leaves you no time to actually think about high value tasks, like, you know, whether it's product strategy, positioning, more forward looking roadmap. And essentially, these are the tasks that product managers should be spending significant amount of their time on to kind of really take that step function change for the product, you know, and and solve the problem for the customer. So if you really, you know, fill your calendar up with a lot of these tactical things that end up, you know, kind of, you know, filling the void or if no one's doing it and I'm going to pick up the slack, it ends up being, uh, uh, you know, so much that so that, you know, you have no time left uh, in the workday to actually work on product strategy, work on forward looking roadmap, or looking at, you know, what are some creative ways or innovative ways of, to solve uh, the problems that customers have. That ends up you, you know, extending day beyond the workday, whether it's evenings or weekends to actually do play catch up. And, uh, and that becomes really challenging because it slowly becomes no longer a 40 hour work week, uh, but, you know, way more than that. Uh, and those were, I, I think, some of my challenges uh, when I first started at Product. And taking to Abhishek, how does her experience relate to your experience early in your career? Oh, I would say very similar. I think one thing that early professionals in the career face a problem, and in the product world, we call it output versus outcome. If you're a PM and you're building out a roadmap, if you're a junior PM, you would focus a lot more on output. Hey, we launched 10 features, five features, right? We tend to forget what the outcome is. How much have we moved the metric by? How much progress have we made? And I think similar thing happened to me during my time management. When I was younger PM, I used to be in a lot of different meetings, trying to meet everyone, giving demos. So my output was a lot. If I look back at my week, hey, I spent a 50-hour week. I spent a 40-hour week. But then I wasn't getting a lot done out of it because my energy was not aligned with my time. You also need to consider the fact that time management and energy management goes hand in hand. You can put in a lot of time, but if you're not effective in that time, it doesn't lead to anything. Well, then there were different hacks and different ideas that I figured out on my way, on my journey, probably that I'll talk a little bit more about down the forum um, in, in the call. But yeah, I think the first few years are pretty brutal. Be it PM or any other career, especially for PM, it's more brutal because you have so many stakeholders to talk to and they all want a piece of your time. And ultimately you realize that you have drained your energy, you have drained your time, and you don't have time for very important tasks that you want to prioritize. All right, and I want to give Mark some space to add to that. Did you have anything uh, similar or different to add to the challenges you faced with time management early in your career? <laughs> I hate to be contrarian right out of the gate, but my experience is actually the opposite. And I think I have a, a reasonable explanation as to why. Uh, I feel like my need for time management has, in fact, increased as my career has progressed. And I'm wondering why. I mean, I totally get it. I mean, when you start your career, maybe you don't have all the time management skills. You don't know quite know how to prioritize. Therefore, you spend a lot of time working. And then you learn these skills over time. And you're able to reduce your workload. Maybe at least in my case, and, and it might be different from other people, um, it's that uh, maybe I just didn't have enough imagination early on in my career. And so... Uh, when I had jobs right out of college, I had managers who told me what to do. I did those things and then I did them and then I was done and then I enjoyed my weekend. Whereas now I'm constantly thinking of where else can I go? What else can I do? Uh, what are other places where I could create impact and just kind of like spreading my tentacles through the organization or not just at work, but maybe outside of work, doing things like this, doing that. And so in addition to that, I feel that uh, technology has also increased the need for time management skills. I had the luxury of watching technology progress throughout my career. Uh, the quantity of information and the number of different ways that people can communicate, whether it's email and Slack and all those different, I, I don't know, I feel like at least for me, it has increased the need for me to try to figure out how to manage all these different fire hoses of information and try to figure out what's most important and what's not important. So I don't know. Does this make sense? Makes sense to me. I'm curious, uh, Sumeya, whether you align more with Abhishek and Sangeeta or if your experience is more uh, similar to Mark's where <laughs> time management is becoming more challenging the longer you've been in the business. I I think it's just a different uh, a different animal type of situation that we're dealing with at every phase. I agree with both. When, you know, in the early days when I took direction from my manager, my world had a, a bit of a finite 
or there were more guardrails around it. And I just had to deliver on those expectations or those outcomes. And I was getting uh, a lot of feedback and I could ask my manager for, for that. And the more senior I am, or I, I, I got in my roles, the more I would get less of that feedback and the more my world the aperture on it just grew wider. And to add on top of that, whenever I, I just feel that whenever you have uh, more people reporting to you or more people in the organization, the your sphere of influence actually, or control, your sphere of control over everything you do reduces. Your sphere of influence increases, but of control, it, uh, it diminishes compared to before, and specifically for yourself. <laughs> Unless you set so much, so many processes in place to help you manage that. So I, I agree with actually both perspectives. Yeah, Sumeya, you, you said more eloquently uh, on a few things that actually I wanted to share. I would just like to add one thing. I think the number of people who are requesting of your time actually also increases as your career progresses, as you move up in management. And when more people are requesting of your time, it requires more time management. And that's not just personal, but also, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, not just professional, but also personal. So I now have a family. And so I have those people who are, you know, not only they're requesting my time, I want to give them my time, right? So I have to manage all of that as well. Abhishek or Sangeeta, did you want to add in or respond to anything or dive into um, frameworks that you use to manage your time? Uh, choose your own adventure. So I think one one thing that I'll add to what Mark said, because he, he, he raised this point uh, that kind of, you know, made me think a little bit. And uh, one thing that I've sort of, you know, realized over time is when I started off in my career, I wouldn't delegate anything. You know, I would just kind of take on more and more. And which is potentially, you know, all the tactical stuff, which Abhishek was talking about, that that's more output based. Right. And you felt like, you know, you had to do everything and couldn't delegate anything. Uh, as I've progressed in my career, one of the things that I've kind of, you know, you know, over time kind of learned uh, is, uh, you know, there is a process to delegate and there is potentially the right person to kind of do the job and you don't have to take on everything. And uh, that's where I felt like, you know, you know, over a period of time and over the years of experience, uh, I've been able to kind of, you know, manage my time better than I was uh, when I first started. All right. Uh, I love this context and uh, just this uh, sharing of ideas. This is fantastic. Abhishek, I'm going to turn to you. Uh, I want you to do both. If you are going to add to this, go ahead. But then I want to start giving people answers. What uh, are some tips or frameworks that you use to help manage your time? Sure, definitely, Chef. I think I think I agree with Mark and um, Swami. I think uh, it's great from their perspective. Everyone has a different journey. Especially for me, I think what didn't work early in my career was making that strong prioritization call. Although my roles and responsibility was lesser than it is now, I'm a people manager, so I have people requesting for my time. But back then, I didn't realize very intuitively what was necessary for moving the metrics. So I would spend time in talking to different people, being part of certain initiative, thinking that, hey, it might get linked in some way. And the more connections I make earlier in my career, the better it is. So a lot of my time went here and there. Looking back, I could have prioritized it much better. I think further down as my career progressed, now that intuition becomes stronger over a period of time. So looking at a meeting invite, if I don't see a strong agenda, I can strongly say no. Also, when you're younger, I think saying no becomes slightly difficult because you're out there proving yourself. But once you have your credibility established, you can very easily say no that, hey, no. This doesn't align to our team's mission or OKR. We are simply saying no to it. This is something we can't progress now. Hey, can we just take this over an email and close the loop out? Is there really a need to meet? So that kind of confidence comes in as you start delivering and as you start growing in your career. Uh, so at, at least I think that was the case with me. Like people start a different confidence level or different credibility in the industry. It was more of a personal story from my side. Let me quickly switch gears and talk a little bit about what has worked for me. I have been and I'm still a very productivity freak. Like, you know, you ask me, Todoist, Bear App, Notion, any productivity out there, I have tried everything and nothing has worked for me. The simple reason being like you add a to-do list in your app, you add a bunch of items to be done and it gives you a small dopamine when you just cross it off that, hey, I have done this. And that dopamine boost starts degrading over a period of time. 
And you have kept your to-do list at, hey, I'm going to do this and this today, but you need to actually make time to do that. Somebody sets up a meeting on your calendar or some other thing comes up and you simply forget to do that. And then either you are completing it at the expense of your personal time that ought to be spent with your family or just burning the mid-lamp oil and doing it late at night. I think the thing that worked best for me was blocking time in my calendar. I think calendar is the best productivity app I can say. So I do maintain a backlog, like I do maintain a backlog of different things I need to do. If a new idea comes up or if something else comes to my mind, I quickly add to my backlog. But then maybe on Sunday or a Monday morning, I would just plan my week ahead and add slots in my calendar for very important tasks. That way my calendar is blocked. Nobody sets up time in that calendar. And when that meeting time starts and I said, okay, I need to complete this thing in this half an hour slot and I have to do it. I think when I switched gears a year ago from the whole different to-do list apps to blocking time in my calendar, I could really feel my productivity has increased many fold and I'm able to jot down more tasks now than I was able to do before. That's one hack that particularly worked for me. There are a few others that I'll talk further down, down the meeting, but I'll let others give in their perspective as well. All right. Uh, Sangeeta, do you have anything to add to what's working? So we understand the problem and how it's changed over each of your careers. What's working? Uh, what are some tools and takeaways that you could share with the audience? Absolutely. So I think one of the things uh, outside of, you know, adding blocking time on my calendar, which I am also, uh, I do it very deliberately, uh, making sure, you know, I have time blocked for uh, things that are important. But outside of that, one of the things that uh, a hack that I've used is making sure, uh, you know, to reduce the number of meetings. Uh, one of the, uh, you know, culprit is that product managers end up in a lot of meetings uh, and the calendar fills up very quickly when you have a ton of meetings go, and if you just go from meeting to meeting you just don't have any sort of you know mind uh, you know uh, you know time to kind of you know take and and think through uh, the problem space uh, and you know you know work on the things that you're supposed to work on which are of higher value so what i've done uh, typically is uh, first of all, I reduce and I try as much as possible to kind of, you know, understand what the outcome expected is from the meeting and make sure that the number of meeting attendees that are invited to the uh, to the meeting should be as short as possible. I'm all for inclusion and I'm all for including all the right folks in the meeting, but I, I make sure I make a deliberate effort to make sure I understand what each, each person's role is in the meeting and what is the expected outcome and make sure that like most meetings are no more than 30 minutes. Uh, that's a hack that I've been you know trying to incorporate in my daily schedule and it has worked wonderfully so far. And then Sumay, I can always count on you for a framework or a tangible bite-sized takeaway that helps people do their jobs better. How would you advise people or what's worked for you in terms of time management? One thing that has, we can talk about, you know, specific tactics in a minute, but one thing that has uh, changed the way I think about time management a lot is uh, the the book I had uh, mentioned earlier by Charles Duhigg, Faster, Better, or something to that effect. Uh, I don't remember exactly the, the, the title. But basically, uh, the bottom line of it was for me to focus, first understand where my attention needed to go and what are the things I naturally enjoyed. Because I tended to do things that I loved and just intuitively liked first. I would do them first. I would do them faster. I would just uh, be more inclined to do with it, to to doing them, and then the things I don't like to do, I would leave them last, and really would rather not do them ever. Uh, and so, uh, you know, at at one point, I had to sit down and understand what are the things I really didn't like doing. For example, one of my least favorite things to do is to write out these very detailed performance reviews. I, I know it's not a great thing for a manager to say, <laughs> but I do love sitting down, giving feedback. In fact, I give feedback very periodically, uh, periodically or very fre frequently, but then to sit down and go through the details and editing and doing it in, in a very detailed way is just something I never liked. And so I had to spend a couple of months working with a coach on that specific task. So I wanted to get the stuff that I wasn't good at or didn't like out of the way, especially if uh, they were necessary for my success as a job. I identified three things. That was one of them, worked with coaches on them and uh, got that situation handled. Because for me, time management not only came down to 
the function of time, how many hours do I have to get the work done, but also my desire and motivation to get them done. So I had to unblock some of that mindset stuff. And then the the second thing, and, and that, like I said, look up the book by Charles Duhigg. He does a really good job talking about the eight things that make you a more productive person. And motivation, intrinsic motivation is actually the number one thing. So there is that. And then in terms of hacks, the two hacks or the two tools that I use a lot when I can. One, I've started using uh, or turning off notifications. I have been doing that now for six months. It has made a huge difference for me. Notifications on my computer, on my phone. Uh, Sometimes I don't get to messages until the next day or the day after. But people who need to reach me in case of emergency know how to bypass that. But it has allowed me, and this is true for my team too, they can do that. It has allowed us to focus our attention on things that matter. Because time management at this point, at least also has a lot to do with our effectiveness in our work. So that's one. And second one is Calendly. One of the most time-consuming thing for anyone who has to to deal with a lot of people, especially people external to the company, uh, is just figuring out how to schedule stuff. And I do a time audit, like a high-level one, every uh, six months or so. And I found that that was one of the biggest time sucks for me. Whether I'm talking to my assistant to try to figure it out or someone else, it just takes a lot of time. So... Those are the two I would uh, I would share with everyone. All right, and Mark, uh, time management. You said you have a family. You said you've got uh, growing demands on your time at work, and yet you have still been very generous meeting with the next generation of product management talent uh, through the University of Washington's uh, inclusive product management accelerator. How do you do it all? What What's your tips uh, and tricks to managing your time? Well, thank you. That's kind of you. And uh, I was very excited about this topic of conversation because I actually wanted to learn from all the other panelists about (laughs) ways to improve time management. I will say uh, that Calendly is actually quite awesome. So thank you, Sumeya, for that. I actually use it to manage the mentoring sessions with the fellows that are in the program. So that's super handy. I've jotted down a few things and, and, and actually I'm prioritizing them right now. I think the number one thing uh, that I'd like to share right now is don't multitask. So everyone so far has had awesome advice. So uh, I just, I don't want to repeat what's being said, but what hasn't been said is maybe multitasking. It's especially now that we're working from home and uh, the meetings on a zoom. And so you're actually not in the room with people and you have messages popping up and emails and so forth and all that kind of stuff. It's just so easy to try to do multiple things at the same time. And I think we lose a lot of productivity when we multitask. It's much better to try to task switch. So set a certain amount of time for whatever it is you want to do and just focus on it and just crank through that thing and move to the next thing. I really like the, um, the suggestion of turning off notifications to the extent that you can do that. On your phone, I suppose it's relatively easy, but when I have my work computer up, even if it doesn't beep, I mean, I can see things rolling in. I can see in Slack or the chat app, I can see the dots appearing in the emails, you know, and so you want to go and you see something It's like, oh, I got to read this, but you're in the middle of drafting a doc. So, you know, you're switching away and then you got to switch back and it's just, it just slows you down. So that's one thing I wanted to share. Maybe a smaller thing, perhaps some, actually perhaps somewhat related is a little hack with respect to email. I found this, at least for me, this would work relatively well. So the way I used to do email is you, you go to your inbox and you kind of scan down the, the inbox and you say, oh, this, this one's important. So you, you click on that email. Maybe that's number five. You read it. You take care of it. You go back to the inbox and then you hunt up and down. You find another one that's important. You do that one. And you do it, right? This feels a little bit, I don't know, like multitasking maybe or I don't know. It's hunting and pecking. What I've done uh, has... Uh, I've, I've set up the uh, email app so that when I delete an email, it automatically goes to the next one. And no matter what's in the inbox, I start at the top, start with the first one, do it and do whatever you reply or you delete it and then b- click and then boom, you go to the next one and then you just go straight down. Uh, I think a lot of effort is spent hunting and pecking, trying to prioritize the emails as opposed to just jamming through them. And maybe I'll throw out just one more really quickly. 
outsource and seek help. So uh, I've got a number of different projects that I work on for different things. I'll just throw out one example. I've got a, a personal website, which I wanted to put on GitHub, and it requires using Jekyll, which is a language that I don't know. And so my first instinct was to kind of dig in and learn it and get up to speed. But I decided, you know, I don't really want to learn Jekyll. That's not the point of this. The point is to put together the blog. So I hired someone. I went out to Fiverr, found a gentleman. He was super helpful. He put it together for me. Sure, it cost a little bit of money, but it saved a lot of time. So if you have the luxury of doing that, that's something that you might want to consider. Delegating. All right. Thank you, Mark. Now, I have a ton of questions about time management, but in the interest of time, I want to manage, uh, delegate, Mark. I'm learning. I'm going to delegate to Red. Uh, Red, are you Red E? <laughs> really? <laughs> I was waiting for that. Really? <laughs> <laughs> the repeat listeners, they it gets them every time. They're, they they expect it, Red, at this point. Red, uh, tell people how they can get involved right now. But I, I do want to make sure that we stick very close to questions about time management because there's so much to dive into this topic. It comes up time and time again when I talk to people in the Slack channel and, and in the LinkedIn group and in other places. So I really want to stay focused on time management because I also have uh, read, if I could, I'd like to reserve the last 10 minutes for panelists' questions for each other. So Red, I'd love it if you could do your thing for 15 minutes. Absolutely. Uh, so for starters... This is the time in the show where we want you to get involved. We have four incredible minds in the space of product and time management that can answer any question as it relates to time management. We've got us, Ollie, who is not afraid to take a selfie of himself and then use that as a picture of himself. So Ollie, you are here with my favorite color as your background. The stage is yours. Use your time wisely. Yeah, so I'm going to give you a, a very simple question, which is super broad, and I think we'll open up a lot of topics, although there's only 10 minutes left, but I've just joined because I'm in the UK. But it's good to see this room. Well, firstly, by the way, this is the only room, one of the only rooms that I was able to find on Clubhouse around product management. So super happy to be here and actually catch it. Um, there needs to be more rooms like this. Of course. Uh, Thank you. My, no worries at all. Um, yes, yeah, so, so my, my only question, it's going to be super vast, but very specific how would one go about finding an MVP? Um, and I'm probably more asking around the logical steps that one would take. I mean, finding an MVP in itself, like we, I, we, we need to start with defining what does an MVP mean in your situation, because an MVP in every situation means something different. And what is viable sometimes can have a time component to it. So for example, uh, a viable vaccine for Omicron is really something that has to come out soon or early enough for when uh, it's starting to spread. Otherwise, it might be too late. Maybe. For example, I'm not a, a virologist here. But if I'm trying to just focus the concept of MVP on time, uh, that's too narrow of a focus. And I would hesitate to do that. I would be doing PMs a disservice. I'm just saying mm -hmm. that we should think of time as a component of it. But the process to arrive at it should probably be broadly the same. And it should focus on, one, what is the problem we're trying to solve? Usually you start with a bunch of problems. Which one is the most viable, vi uh, valuable, desirable uh, problem you want to solve? And then find the leanest solution you can solve that problem with. How does that look in real life for software versus hardware versus medical versus financial is, is where the real nuance and fun begins for product managers. Well, Sumeya, in the time that we have, I think that was a great response. And I'm going to keep running with time as the factor here. Ollie, I'm going to take that question, which is broad. And given that we have very little time, I want to pivot it in the following direction. And this is where Sangeeta and Mark Abhishek, I could really use your help, which is that when you're coming out with an MVP, at least the initial indication is you're trying to see if you have the right temperature, the right direction for your product. And there's always this balance of the bug fixes the, uh, that come up during MVP, because if you claim there are none, then wow, please, you're hired. <laughs> come over here, build MVPs all day. But there's always an MVP direction, 
where you got to fix the bugs, but you also have to prioritize enhancements to the product itself. How do you juggle that, like the competing factors or are, perhaps are they not competing? Because my assumption is that you have a limited engineering team and a limited amount of time to spend on this new thing you're going to launch as MVP. So how do you balance that in your day? Again, the bugs versus product advancements. That is a, uh, <laughs> a fantastically difficult question. And I don't want to punt, but I really feel like it's a question of judgment. Every organization that I've been in has constantly had the battle between bug fixing or better engineering, uh, reducing technical debt. People refer to it at all, as all those three different things. And building new functionality, new features, new products even. I think it's a case-by-case -case thing. Oh, hopefully I didn't break your mind here, Mark. <laughs> it's, it's a you tough broke, question. You just, broke, you, you just broke. You just broke my mind. Uh, <laughs> maybe maybe someone could can jump in and help me. <laughs> Absolutely, we call this one passing the baton, Mark. So sure, uh, Sangita, Throw me a please. Eight, like eight, your friend. <laughs> <laughs> of course, uh, Sangita, please weigh in. Where where do we start with on unpacking this conundrum? So I think. Yeah, it's 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 a hard one, honestly. Uh, it's um, it is really case by case uh, in all the different products that I've worked in so far. Uh, every product has you know found a very different balance between you know what needs to be solved and how much needs to be solved and what's the leanest possible solution that's gonna you know you know you know you're gonna go out there with right to test with customers because at the end of the day. You, uh, it'll go back to the problem that you're going to try and solve and what's the least amount of work you need to do in order to kind of solve that problem to test a hypothesis that you're trying to test. Uh, I think that's like sort of the nugget. And for every problem, depending on whether it's a hardware solution, a software solution, uh, you know, what kind of product you're building and what kind of problem you're solving, uh, that that's the scope of what you need to do in order to kind of test your hypotheses is different. Uh, you know what I mean, which is why it becomes a very case by case uh, kind of, you know, uh, you know, question to go, you know, handle every single time you're trying to kind of, you know, define what that MVP looks like. Yeah. And hopefully I've helped here, if not confused <laughs> people more. <laughs> well, the good news is if someone's confused, they can always raise their hand and come on stage and ask clarifying questions for their own sake. But Abhishek, I saw you came off mute, please. Yep. Hey. Thank you for the hey Oli. Thank you for the question. I get it. It's totally a different, difficult question, and organizations have been putting the best brains behind trying to find an optimal answer. But ultimately, it's a very judgment based. However, I can when you reduce the scope to just MVP, there are a few things that can help you take the decision. Right? I think I've been in this situation in the past multiple times, and the number one question that we ask ourselves is, Hey, what's the goal of this MVP? Ideally, a goal of an MVP should be to de-risk your riskiest assumption. Like, are we trying to see, is it a viability risk? Like, can we make this product? Or is it a adoption risk? Will customer ever use the product? Or is it more about uh, our whole engagement risk? Like, will customer be engaged enough with our product? So depending on what our goal is, our priority should be to make sure that the flow for that goal doesn't break, right? If you're testing, how would consumers or customers navigate through my product? Or does this navigation make sense or not? If you feel there are any bugs in that particular flow, that should be solved. In my opinion, enhancements to MVP should be led through the blockers that you see. Say you find there are 10 blockers that people face when they are trying to navigate through your MVP. There are certain things that they are not able to accomplish or the jobs to be done that we have defined, people are not able to do that. Then that basically becomes enhancement to the MVP. Again, like, like I think uh, Somaya said, MVP should be really defined how you define MVP. But again, in my definition, MVP is a work in progress. It's not something that is ready, ready enough. You are just testing out multiple things and keep making changes to your MVP till you come to a product or till you come to a state where you think this is good enough to scale. So in that particular order, I think there's still a judgment call. Is the bug breaking the core flow? If yes, prioritize that bug. If this bug is not breaking the core flow or if the bug is outside what you want to test and learn, probably prioritize some of the enhancement that you have received as a feedback from the users or something that you have observed that may improve the efficiency or efficacy of the product. Again, that's my two cents. Easier said than done in real life when there are multiple variables out there, it really becomes a very hard judgment call. But this is the kind of framework that I try to follow that helps me navigate some of the complexities. 
Well, Abhishek, uh, hopefully this doesn't sound contrary to Sumeya's belief of frameworks, but frameworks are just a guide. It's not a hard and fast cement wall. So I think that advice you've given us is twofold in that the frameworks are there to help us, not block us, especially in an early stage where you need to be flexible with MVPs. That's really good advice. And to me, I'm, I'm assuming you're coming off to either <laughs> potentially support what I said or drop a pun. I, uh, I think since I've become known as the framework person, <laughs> I think it's very important that I clarify that I completely believe in the in using frameworks just as a loose suggestion, a list of suggestions for someone to start thinking about how to do something or how to get to something but that's it it's not it's not something in fact if you're using a framework without changing it you're probably doing it wrong so thank you for that disclaimer red i i did have also um a question because when it comes to the question of time for us in product management one of the most important decisions we get to make around pivoting or persevering or this thing is working or not working has to do with time. Like how much time do we give it? Did we give it enough time? When do we move on? And I'm curious about some of the ways uh, the team has or everyone here has uh, approached this conundrum. Because it's usually hindsight 2020, where we were like, ah, should have given up on that, on that feature set or on that product a long time ago. Uh, but when you're in the middle of it, it's truly one of the hardest, I believe, decisions that we PMs have to be faced with. Samia, that's unfair. I mean, we just came from a mind-breaking question, and now <laughs> another I mean, one. <laughs> it's Tuesday afternoon, and our brains are melting at this. It's a difficult one. But Mark, I saw you come off mute. I don't know if you want to tackle this uh, five-story building just after coming off the last one. In another mind-bending question, uh, I do have maybe some quick thoughts about both of them, actually. So. I think that they're, you know, as I think, by the way, everyone's input has been fantastic. I do think that these situations need to be taken on a case by case basis. And ultimately what you're going to be doing is using judgment to just try to make a determination whether in the first case, uh, should we invest resources in to reduce technical debt or should we build new features? And in the latter, should we deprecate a feature, right? Very hard decisions. What I would like to just say is that whenever I'm faced with these and we're trying to balance out the pros and the cons of all of them, typically I put my thumb on the scale in favor of reducing technical debt and deprecating features because in general, I think people don't want to do those things and the incentives aren't always aligned to do those things. And so I try to give them a little bit of a boost. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, I think we are, most of us are, tend to be optimistic. You know, when you think about the planning fallacy that Daniel Kahneman writes about in his book, uh, writing, um, Thinking Fast and Slow, and how we consistently as humans only think of the optimistic or mostly think of the optimistic scenarios uh, which is why we tend to not like meet deadlines or uh, most of the time or budgets, etc. I, I I think using that kind of logic to also say this is why we we push a, a feature way beyond its usefulness uh, by months, sometimes in years. So uh, yeah, I think that's a that's a very valid point. I've heard optimism used as an explanation as to why some folks are habitually late for maybe meetings or appointments. It's because they're very optimistic about the time that it will take them to arrive at their destination. <laughs> which which makes me arrive at my next question, which is most of us are now working from home. Since time management works for us so well, what has where has our commuting time gone? I'm curious to hear what uh, what you all have done with your commuting time. 
Well, Somaya, what I'm doing is actually uh, making my uh, latte art skills really professional in the time I save in the commute this mo every morning. So, you know, I've been taking, uh, you know, I've, I invested in a, in a coffee machine and then I'm perfecting my latte art skills. But that's me for you. Abhishek, you're in the Bay Area, right? Yeah, so... I purposely chose my place close to my office before the pandemic. So it was always a 10 minute ride. So I saved what, what, 20 minutes a day? Ah, uh, okay. I was expecting that you would have the longest commute time given back to you, but. Uh, oh, um, Jeff, I thought you were going to recommend that Abhishek makes, or Sangeeta makes Abhishek a, a coffee. Exactly. That's what oh. I, I thought that was the direction, like a latte. So. Oh, gosh. I was off my. No, I went straight for <laughs> commute time. So you, uh, you you make puns with one person, but the humor doesn't apply there. I totally get it. Yeah, I, totally I was it. I was not red eat. <laughs> make a pun there. Oh well. On that note, uh, we are going to move on from hand raising questions. Uh, you did ask to make sure we had sufficient time I to uh, uh, back on your side. So, Ollie, thank you for the MVP question. It not only was a minimum viable question, but it ended up bending into an incredibly viable response and uh, conversation. So thank you for that. And uh, with that, thank you to everyone who was able to ask questions. And uh, again, Sangeeta, I think the fact that we talked about a coffee machine and dig in didn't dig into it deep enough, uh, we should definitely save that for our next conversation because I'm leaning in. I am curious. So. Sure. <laughs> All right, back to you, Jeff. Well read. We're failing all of the lessons we're getting from people. I got caught multitasking during this conversation. Uh, that was one recommendation. Don't multitask. Another recommendation was to time box things. And you failed that task. <laughs> Five minutes past. What task will we fail? What uh, guidance will we fail next? I just don't know. Um, so instead of failure, let's talk victories. Um, I think we're here at the end of time of our time. So uh, as it relates to time management, any uh, bite-sized takeaways that you want to leave the audience with? Um, I'll start with Abhishek. Um, what, what do you hope the audience takes away from this conversation? There's a book by Brian Tracy called Eat That Frog. Whenever you're given an option, eat that frog. Frog here means your, most big, your biggest and the most difficult task. Always do that first thing in the morning, your biggest and most difficult task, and then you are set for the rest of your day. All right. That's another interesting thing because I, I spend my mornings just doing what Mark said, going through my inbox and getting rid of one email after another. And I feel like I've given my time to others, uh, what, what they're asking me to do rather than focusing on what I need to do. Uh, so I think, Abhishek, that's a, a good lesson I'm going to take. So thank you. Sangeeta, anything that you hope to leave the audience with? I'd say um, if anything you take away is take away to uh, the skill to delegate. Right. You don't need to do everything. Uh, you don't need to, you know, uh, you know, take on too much. You you need to make sure, uh, you know, to pick the tasks, uh, uh, you know, and prioritize, uh, you know, what you should do and what somebody else, you know, what you can get help for. So absolutely, whether it's your personal life or work life, <laughs> learn to delegate. All right. So we've got two uh, great bite-sized takeaways that uh, can improve your time management at whatever level of uh, product management you are uh, at in your career. Mark, uh, keep the streak going for us. Yeah, sure. A, a quick takeaway, I would say uh, be kind to yourself. So I think that time management is something that we all aspire to. You can certainly always do it better. But if I recall correctly, I think at the top, Sumei was talking about an HBR article where time management was driving someone crazy. I'm actually not clear on what the details are there. But yeah, don't expect to be perfect. And you you know do better. But at the end of the day, no one is ever going to be 100% perfectly productive. So just do your best. All right. Sumeya, do your best. Uh, <laughs> I, I I think I'd like to close uh, this conversation with the theme I usually close our conversations with, which is the tension, it, which is uh, endemic to to this role. Uh, the tension between be uh, be on top of time management, but also don't let time be the thing that runs the the product. It's again, some days will go better than others. 
And I love Mark's point about being kind to yourself. Some days you'll be able to do it well and others not. Understanding that you're constantly playing that tension of focusing on the right outcomes, doing them fast enough, you know, with that certain sense of urgency that's really important sometimes to the success. And the third factor, which is what makes you happy? I, we didn't talk a lot about, you know, what makes you uh, what's meaningful to you. So Jeff, if, you know, what's meaningful to you, what makes your days for you to be helpful to others, start there. The approach of starting with the hardest thing in the beginning of the day might work for some people, but some people need something, uh, you know, motivational to start their day, which brings me to the last point, which is around energy management too. I think each one of us ebbs and flows through the day and understanding at what points in the day I need to do the hardest tasks and at what point in the day I need to do the most satisfying and rewarding tasks is also an important thing. So understand thyself, uh, be kind to yourself, uh, and hopefully uh, this journey continues to be enjoyable for you, even if you don't figure it all out right away. I can go ahead and ask one question very quickly. Mark and Sangeeta, either of you can answer. I think one thing that VPMs always face is a whole context switching, which gets tiring. You know, like you jump in a meeting with design, then with engineers, and then maybe with analysts, and there's so much context switching that's happening. And sometimes what happens is I have three meetings, I have half an hour slot, but I'm so drained in that half an hour slot, I'm not able to do a lot of productive work. How do you guys deal with so frequent context switching that VPMs face? Yeah, that's uh, it's hard. <laughs> I will say that. Generally speaking, like at least in uh, where I'm at right now, uh, we try and uh, you know have blocks between meetings, uh, just so that you know you you get a breather, you you know you you get your mind to reset a little bit and focus on the topic that is you know upcoming. But uh, I will say that it doesn't necessarily always work uh, for me at least. And I've had a challenge uh, for that, especially in the online sort of you know world that we are in right now in the last couple of years uh, it's been more and more challenging because you're just clicking on a button to get to the next uh, you know meeting uh, and it's much harder there's really you know zero uh, context switch because you're not you're not even physically moving from one room to the other uh, so it's 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 incredibly hard so what I've tried to do is actually mimic what I used to do at work, which is, hey, after every meeting, you know, I just, you know, kind of, you know, go around the hallway, go uh, go into my family room, you know, go get a glass of water or whatever it is that, you know, I need to do physically to kind of, you know, get my mind away from, you know, the conversation that I was talking about and get my mind into focused on the next conversation that I need to be in. So that's sort of, you know, what has helped me uh, in the online world, at least. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you know, it's, it is hard to kind of, you know, switch from one meeting to the other, uh, you know, especially if the, if the context and the audience is very different. So I could jump in with a quick hack, which, you know, maybe I should have shared earlier, um, but didn't think of it. Uh, I practice taking notes during meetings. So when these used to take place in person, I would have a notebook and I would write things with a pencil. Now, of course, they're all on video, so I have taken it online into a, a Google Doc, which just grows and grows and grows. The thing that makes it work for me uh, is that, well, first of all, it requires you to focus. So I can't be multitasking and taking notes about the meeting, the conversation that's taking place that, in the meeting that I'm at right now. And additionally, it uh, enables me to just, as the meeting's taking place, to try to identify what are the most important things that have taken place here? What are the key things about this meeting? Is there a to-do? Is there a takeaway? And I jot that down. One downside of note-taking is that sometimes when people see you taking notes during the meeting, especially if it's on like Zoom or whatever, uh, they think that you're sending emails or, or doing something else. And I find... I occasionally have to tell people, no, no, I'm taking notes about the conversation that's taking place right now. So yeah, you can be careful about that. Uh, but it does only go so far. I actually have found that I enjoy, yeah, you're not going to want to hear this, but um, working later in the evenings and on the weekends, which you know people shouldn't do, but I've decided that I like it because there aren't the distractions and there aren't other people and I can send messages and emails to people and they don't immediately bounce back and things aren't pinging and it's just an opportunity. It just feels calmer 
And I, especially if I'm drafting something, a doc, or that requires any sort of like significant amounts of thinking, like if I'm not just turning the crank, like I need to be creative. I, I like to find time outside of the actual work day to do those things. I hate giving that advice, but that works for me. Well, thanks, Mark. Thanks for getting that wonderful advice. I, I think I, I'll take your advice in a way that book your slots of time to do deep work whenever you feel the best. You know, it can be on weekend, it can be at night, it can be in afternoon and morning. I think to each one of its own, you know, like there are different people who have different peak energy levels. So I would say, yeah, I think that's a wonderful advice. When people talk about blocking out time, that is kind of the equivalent of what I was suggesting, maybe working on the weekends or the but doing it during the workday. If you have the ability to block out a chunk of your calendar and have people respect that, which, okay, it's not always the case, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, I have I have time on my calendar that it clearly says blocked, but, you know, not everyone cares. So, but regardless, if you can do that, then that is kind of the equivalent of having some focus time to do whatever heavy thinking that you need to do. Yeah. I, I was actually going to uh, ask uh, you guys if, uh, you know, if like in this online world that we're in, one of the struggles I have with time management is getting distracted. Uh, like, you know, when there's just things going on and I have little kids and, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, you know, their schools are off and if they're off, they're at home. And if they're at home, it's like a constant, like, you know, hey, uh, you know, getting distracted with things. And for me, I feel like, you know, I get distracted really easily. Uh, so even if like, uh, you know, I don't know, the door rings or somebody from the Amazon, whatever, you know, leaves a package at my door, I get distracted super easily. I wonder if, uh, you know, there's better ways to stop distracting yourself and focus, uh, especially if you're writing a doc or, you know, coming up with like, you know, thinking through uh, some strategy work. I I'm curious, you know, how you do that in a home, work from home environment. I truly empathize with that problem. That's a problem I face. Like, even if there are no distractions, I used to just, you know, switch on to my email or Slack or open up my phone to see something every 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, it's very, very difficult to focus, uh, especially when you're at home and you're alone and your environment doesn't change. There's no dynamicity to the environment. It's plain static, same wall that you're facing and same room that you're in. I think one thing that I have tried, not with a lot of success, but with some success, was to trick my brain into a reward. Before taking that big chunk, like I'm writing a PRD or I'm writing a strategy deck, once this is over, I'll reward myself by watching some cute cat videos after this. And whenever I'm being distracted, I just remind myself, cute cat videos, cat videos, and then I just try to do that work. So kind of trick your brains to say, hey, there's a big reward waiting for me once I do this work. And that kind of gives my brain an extra motivation to do that work. And again, it's easier said than done, but that's something I have been trying. And I, have, I can say I've been partially successful at that at some instances. All right. And then Red, uh, thanks for managing the stage and uh, being on the founding advisory board for the Product Management Center at the University of Washington and being the driving force, uh, bringing Sumeya, me and you together and bringing energy every single week. Uh, what do you want to conclude with today? In the interest of time, I'll keep this short. Please follow everybody here. Please, if you're someone who can be a volunteer and help those get into product management, it takes a long time for people to break in. We want to reduce that time significantly. So if you know somebody where the university can help, or if you want to be the one that can help the university, this is, a, this is the time to do it. Because every single day that someone's not achieving the dream, their dream job, it's a day that we're letting them down by not at least offering the help that they need. So a somber moment because there's so much we can do, Jeff. But at the same time, really want to encourage everybody that there's uh, the only person that uh, really can help is you. And we would love for you to reach out and give us a chance to bring you in. That's it, Jeff. I don't know if that's what you're looking for, buddy. But I'll I'm take thinking, it. I'm thinking I, about it. <laughs> I'll take it. If it's not, a, a, it didn't give me a chance to laugh at my own jokes. I like how somebody messaged you in the back channel about uh, how I laugh at my own dad jokes. Um, that's good to know. Thank you. Um, I mean, I know I do it. 
anyway, it's good to know it's noticed. Uh, anyway, so yes, as Red's plea to you is see that link up at the top. If you want to help the Product Management Center at the University of Washington create a more diverse, inclusive, and equally important, a skilled uh, product management community, uh, join us. Uh, we have, again, we have 100 fellows uh, from historically marginalized communities in the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator. Uh, Mark has been uh, generously volunteering his time meeting with uh, some of the individuals in that group, helping them uh, prepare for interviews and uh, think about uh, where they could apply and, and where they could get their first product management uh, job. Uh, that program is online and it, it has fellows from across the country. And so you could help us uh, improve the lives of diverse uh, future product managers. Um, and we also have programs that are trying to reach everybody like this program here, the How to Succeed in Product Management show. We'd love to have you uh, share your expertise alongside with uh, Sumeya. So uh, sign up to volunteer. We need you. If we're going to uh, have a more diverse and inclusive and skilled product management community, it is going to take a village. Um, next week, speaking of a village, we're bringing a whole group back together. We've been doing this one year. February 16th is the one-year anniversary, so next week is the one-year anniversary show. And we've invited uh, some of the, the wonderful, brilliant people who joined us early on uh, and who were regulars on our show. And uh, it's going to be nostalgic, it's going to be informative, and it's going to have lots of dad jokes and uh, self-laughter. Uh, uh, is that what you call it? And <laughs> mom, jokes jokes, mom jokes, too. <laughs> mom, mom jokes, too. Mom jokes, too. Yeah, and single jokes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be so much fun. Yes, it's going to be a blast. And uh, so I can't thank Red and Sumeya enough for bringing their energy every week. And I can't thank uh, Abhishek, Sangeeta, and Mark enough for uh, talking about time management. And again, we were three minutes over time. We almost did it, uh, almost landed on time. But it was a great productive conversation that I really appreciate all of you joining today. So that's the end of the show, but we have smart people here on stage. Red, if you've got a bounce, go for it. But if Abhishek, Mark, or Sangeeta had any questions for each other before you head out, um, you're welcome to ask each other now. It's just the, the jam session until uh, Red and I head home to our children, or head to the other room to, to our children. <laughs>